Uh, okay, back to this. Can you see yourself? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7 through 7 is what we're going to take a look at this morning. Just by, in a way, uh, by way of introduction, Timothy is going to get received from Paul, this letter, and he's going to give him three illustrations in this particular chapter to help Timothy to see himself as Paul suggests that he ought to be seeing himself. Keeping in mind that Paul is in prison at this time, Timothy is probably in Ephesus. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. The year is around probably 65, 66 AD. Persecution is on the rise. This is Paul's final letter, and the tone is different this time from the first letter that he sent Timothy. And he's going to suggest to Timothy that he is to guard, chapter 1, that treasure that has been entrusted to him. So four points we're going to take a look at. He's going to give him some words of encouragement. He's going to talk about the fact that you are a soldier, you are an athlete, you are a farmer. Those are the images that he wants to portray as he talks to Timothy. And first of all, I'll leave that. I'm going to pull that up in a minute because I don't want you to get too far ahead. (laughs) We're going to talk about words of encouragement in just a moment. But before we get right into this, I want to say this about this lesson because oftentimes when I uh, talk to folks and I remind them that when you preach, it's kind of a shotgun type of approach, right? Because there's various people here, various spiritual levels. There's some that are Christians. There's some that are majority Christians, some that are not Christians. And so you give a lesson and it's kind of like you hope this hits somebody, right? (laughs) So as we get into this this morning, I just, I just want to kind of uh, give you a, a little um, heads up before we get, get right into this. A lot of lessons are directed towards those who are members of the body of Christ. Some lessons are directed to those who are not members, who are not Christians, in order to try to teach what you need to do in order to become a Christian. And so as I thought about this, and I thought, well, if I say this is a lesson that is really directed towards Christians, then those who aren't Christians may go, well, it's not really for me. I'll just check out. (laughs) And what I want to say is, stay with me. (laughs) Because Jesus, in making disciples, trying to get followers, he oftentimes told them what life as a Christian was going to be like. So as you sit there and you think about, well, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Do I want to become a Christian? Jesus was up front. And he would tell you what it's going to be like. There was an individual who came to him on one occasion, Matthew chapter, the 8th chapter, and said that he would follow him anywhere. <laughs> and you would think Jesus would turn around and go, all right, let's go. But rather he turns around and he says to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why would he say that? He wanted him to know. I want you to follow, but I also want you to know it's not going to be easy. And so on another occasion, Matthew 16, I take all these from the book of Matthew. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow it. 
deny yourself. Won't be easy. And now you come follow me. So let me give you the third one. Matthew 13 also. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he went and sold all that he had that he might purchase that field. More than once. I'm just giving you a couple of illustrations. He tells them how hard it is if you decide to come follow me. But at the same time, he tells them it's worth it. So that's what I would say to you this morning. If you're not a child of God, it's worth it. So stay with me. Listen as Paul talks to Timothy, a young evangelist. is the older apostle seasoned with life and experiences and talking to that young evangelist. And he's trying to get across to himself. As you serve the Lord, Timothy, these are some of the things that you need to be thinking about. Can you see yourself, Timothy, as a soldier? Can you see yourself, Timothy, as an athlete? Can you see yourself as a farmer? Because all of those images pertain to your life, Timothy, now that you are serving the Lord. So we're going to start with some words of encouragement. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I also want to mention in verse 7, before I look at verse 1, getting ahead of myself here. Notice what he says in verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. He says, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all of these things. See what I'm saying? Timothy, I'm going to tell you about being a soldier. I'm going to tell you about being an athlete. I'm going to tell you about being a farmer. And may the Lord help you get the point. May he help you, Timothy, to understand what I'm trying to get across to you. Now then, verse 1. You You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You be strong. Paul is going to repeat those words over and over throughout this letter. Timothy, you're going to have to endure. Timothy, you're going to have to be strong. He's trying to get that point across to him. As you serve the Lord, you've got to be strong, Timothy. Why would Paul write that? As I mentioned on the introduction there, we think about this letter. He's the writer. Who's the recipient? It's Timothy. Where is he at that time that he writes this letter? These are the last words that will ever fall from the pen of the great Apostle Paul. And he is sitting in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Timothy, you're going to have to be strong. And as you take a look at this letter, the words and the tone of it are different than like other letters. We oftentimes refer to the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, right? Paul was under house arrest when he penned those letters. He's in the Mamertine prison. Dungeon would be better now. Can we see the difference? And when he penned those other Letters, And when you read the book of Philemon, which he penned under house arrest early 60s in Rome, at the close of that letter, he even mentions the fact, 
I'm praying, you pray for me, that I may soon be coming to you. He's anticipating that he's going to be released. But you read this letter. Paul has no such feelings about what his destiny is at this time. As he closes this letter, he will say, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Paul knows it's the end of the line. And so as he pens these words and writes to Timothy, this may be some of the last ones, Timothy, that you hear from me. And I'm telling you, you've got to be strong. You know, as we take a look at this, and if you back up just a little bit, chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul will tell him, to guard that treasure that he has been entrusted with. This is what you know, Timothy. This is the gospel. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. But you hang on to it. You guard it. You protect it. But not only does he tell Timothy to guard it, protect it. In chapter 2, he will also say, the things which you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to others, to men also who will be able to teach. And that word men there means men, women. Timothy, you teach everybody so that this might be passed on. I want to read to you from the third chapter, verses 1 through 4, because as you read these words, it's almost like you could have just picked up the paper anybody pick up the paper anymore but anyway if you just picked up the paper and you read the headlines 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy unloving unforgiving slanderers without self-control Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Have you seen that lately? (laughs) Yeah. Paul's saying, in those last days, this is the way it's going to be, Timothy. This is what you're going to be up against, Timothy. So you guard that which you have been entrusted with. I want you to know it's going to be hard, but I want you to pass this on. And so in 2 Timothy 1, he he begins with, and he gives them those words of encouragement. 25 times in this letter, he will say words like that to try to to encourage Timothy as he serves in Ephesus. And tries to win people to Jesus Christ. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him. As a soldier. 
Now, Paul's writing to Timothy. But I don't think we do any damage to the Scriptures if we take our name and put it in there. You therefore, my son. You therefore, John. Colby. Marilyn, Sheila, Kenny. Brian. Edward. You be strong. In the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Can we see that? Because in verse 2 he said, These things that you heard from me, you entrust these, you pass these on to others. So the message is the same. And so we ask the question, can you see yourself? Can you see yourself as a soldier? Can you see yourself as an athlete? Can you see yourself as a farmer? Some people like me, wait a minute, I've never farmed. I mean, we'll talk about that in just a minute though. But Paul's encouraging Timothy. And he's giving these images. And what he's saying is, can you... See yourself. So let me ask you this question before we go any further. Do you know anybody that's a soldier? You ever talk to them about it? Do you know anybody that's an athlete? You ever talk to them about it? Do you know anybody that's a farmer? You ever talk to them about it? Let me tell you something. You're probably not aware of this. I know you're not aware of this. Very limited people in this audience of the morning are aware of this. There's someone that's here. Their father. Decorated war hero I've seen the paperwork I've heard it read went back and saved several men in the heat of the battle you ever talk to a soldier I come through the Vietnam era, right? You ever talk to anybody that's crossed the Mekong Delta? You ever talk to anybody that marched towards Saigon? What's that like? You'd be a soldier, Timothy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, of what happened to us in Asia. And he talks about how they feared even unto death. You ever thought about that? And let that sink in. <laughs> we're working for the Lord. And we're concerned not whether or not we're even going to get out of this alive. Let me say that. 
And Paul said, I want you to be aware of this. That's why he writes to Corinth. Now he's writing to Timothy. And he's telling him this is the way it is. Can you see yourself as a soldier? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in this book, I think it's interesting also because this is the last letter that Paul is ever going to write to Timothy. And he says, I remember Timothy, paraphrase. I remember the last time I saw you. I remember the tears that you were shedding, Timothy. And then he says how much he longs to see him. And where's Paul? He's in the Mamertine prison. And he will say at the close of this letter, only Luke is with me. And Timothy, I'd love to see you. You think he would in that scenario? I'd like to have as much support as I can. Is the war going on? Is the battle on? (laughs) And he's trying to hold on to the faith and encourage others to do the same. Yeah. And he wants Timothy to know this is a war. This is a battle. Because there's times when Paul felt the weight of all this. There's the times when he felt vulnerable, he felt weak, he felt alone. And so let me ask you this question. In serving Jesus Christ, are there ever times when you feel weak? Are there ever times when you feel alone? Welcome to the war. Welcome to the battle. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Timothy was in Ephesus at this time. For most of us, that probably doesn't really ring much of a bell. But if I say something like, Timothy was in L.A., does that ring a bell? (laughs) Uh, Timothy was in San Francisco. Really. Timothy was in Vegas. Yeah. We kind of take those all, roll them in together, and you got Ephesus. Now here's Timothy, young evangelist. A church has been established there. And he's working there. Do you think the war is going on there? Absolutely. Let me tell you a little something that I just read this week that I'm planning a lesson on. I decided I didn't have time to develop it all this week, but it's coming. <laughs> December 30th, 2023. Not long ago, right? The Los Angeles Times. And I read this article. It was about Atheist United. Atheist United. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? (laughs) And so I proceeded to read that. Do you know what atheists do? This is uh, just this little lead into when the lesson's coming. Do you know atheists get together? I did not realize that. (laughs) They have meetings. 
and encourage one another. Isn't that weird? <laughs> they go on excursions together. It sounds like summer camp. And they talk about life and their philosophy and how they're a part of the universe and all those things. And I thought, isn't that interesting? They come together. They encourage one another. They talk about life and how to, their philosophy and their approach to it. And how they're part of the universe. Does that sound a little bit familiar? <laughs> There's a lesson coming from that. <laughs> All I'm saying is, if you're Timothy, and you're in L.A., or if you're in Ephesus, guess what? Your opposition sometimes is organized, isn't it? Absolutely. And do you have a battle in front of you? But here's the point. Paul's telling Timothy, you're going to have to endure as a good soldier. Timothy, you got to grow where God planted you. Can you see that? As a Christian. And Timothy, all those people that are opposed to you, you know what? God loves them too. Can you keep that in mind? And fight the good fight, Timothy? Guard that which has been entrusted to you and take that and share it with others? Can you do that, Timothy? So you sign up and you serve the one who enlisted you denying yourself so that you can serve him and serve others. Now let me ask you this question. We just recently talked about 2 Corinthians 11, right? And Paul records all of those instances where he was persecuted, where he was stoned, to, stoned and left for dead, how he was beaten and beaten with rods. And we talked about what does his back look like? Let me ask you this question. For those who are Christians. One of these days, is it your hope, is it your desire, is it your prayer that you'll stand on the inside of those pearly gates? Yeah. So let me ask you this. Will you have any scars? to show I don't want to show up I don't want to show up unscathed do you 
look at the Apostle Paul, look at Jesus, and then go, no, I mean, they never laid a hand on Do you see why that even within our own country, that when we see somebody in uniform, what do we say to them? Thank you for your service. See what Paul said? Timothy, thank you for your service. And we have to keep that in mind. I want to tell you something else. Sometimes as Christians, we kind of look out at the world and we go, that's a, that's a bad place out there. And Paul says, don't become entangled. And so we think, okay, you know, we've got to stay away from the world and got to stay away from certain people and stuff like that. And so I, I just, I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to get into all that. Well, guess what? Your enemy is not waiting for you to come out there and get into all that. Your enemy, the devil, is going to come into your house. So in the morning time when your alarm clock goes off and you rub your eyes and you turn over the side of the bed and your feet hit the floor, guess who's waiting on you? He wants in your house. He wants in your head. He wants in your thoughts. He wants in your marriage. He wants in your family. He wants in your kids. He wants in there. And he's not waiting for you to come outside before he decides to attack. A number of years ago in, in our family, our family had been touched by, we lost someone. There was a death. And I remember my sister, older sister, telling one of her little kids, talking to them about what had happened. And at one point she said, we, we all die. And he looked at her and he said, not me, I'm staying in the house. <laughs> See, Satan said, you can, you can stay in there if you want. I'll come through the internet. I'll come through your TV. I'll come through your magazines. I'm coming. You don't have to come out. I'll come in in there and get you. And if you think you're going to wake up in the morning and have your coffee and finally get ready, it's like, no. (laughs) I'll be on you before you can get out of of bed. Because this is the way it is. Romans the 6th chapter in verse 16. Know you not the one you serve, you are a slave to the one you obey. We'll study that in a few weeks when we're in Romans. And what Paul is saying is that in this life, there's two masters. And you're going you're to serve one of them. You're either going to serve God unto righteousness, or you're going to serve Satan unto death. And some people are like my little nephew. And go, no, I'll just stay in the house. <laughs> we don't have that choice. 
And you either serve God or you serve the devil. We don't have that third option. Oh, I'll just serve myself. I'll just stay out of that fight. No, you just take that position. What you're doing is you serving devil because you're not serving God. We don't get that choice. There's only two choices. You serve God or you serve Satan. Those are the choices. But let me tell you this also. You turn your back on Satan. You just put a target on your back. You just put a bullseye on your chest. Because God knows he can't defeat or Satan knows he can't defeat God. He already tried that with Jesus, right? So if he can't defeat him, guess who he's coming after? He's coming after God's children. That's who he's coming after. There's a war. It's between light and darkness. It's between good and evil. It's between God and Satan. God wants you to enlist. He wants you to endure hardships. He wants you to know it's all well worth it. But he wants you to engage the battle. He wants you to fight for him. Let me give you this little interesting statistic that I came across here recently. I'm not a Civil War buff by any means. But I do enjoy kind of reading, studying about that period and have visited some of those sites and so forth. Do you know how many soldiers fought at Gettysburg? 172,000. Greatest battle this country's ever seen was between ourselves. 172,000 shoulders, three days. When the battle was over, do you know one of the interesting things that is recorded about that? They found 27,574 rifles that they picked up. And out of that 25,000 and some, 24,000 of them were still loaded. And it was talked about. How can that happen? Did they get shot before they had a chance to, to fire back? Or did some of them get confused in all the chaos? There's a lot going on. And they just panicked? Or did some just drop them and run? Why is it that there were so many that were not fired? The Lord doesn't give us a rifle. What He gives us is a sword. It's referred to as the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians the 6th chapter. I wonder how many swords never get drawn. 
The war is on. And you think about all those rifles and you think, could that person possibly have saved their self that had just shot back? Could they have saved somebody else if they'd have shot back? Or did they just drop it and run? Or did they just get confused? I don't all of a sudden I, I don't know what to do. Maybe in all of that kind of almost forgot how to even use this thing. You think that ever happens? Let me ask you this as I thought about that. I know a lot of you have seen this. Did you ever see the movie Forrest Gump? Do you remember that scene sitting in the barracks? Where Forrest takes his rifle apart and puts it back together while the drill sergeant is standing there with a stopwatch and he comes up and screams at him something to the back. Gump, why why are you why are you able to do that so good? It's because he knew that weapon. He knew that weapon inside and out. You think that's important? Do you think in the midst of the battle? You need to know how to use that weapon? In the midst of that battle, if it becomes jammed, do you think you ought to be able to take it apart and put it back here? Save yourself. Do you think sometimes people just get confused with this word? Do you think sometimes people just get confused in the midst of the argument, the discussion, and and just think sometimes they just drop it and run? (laughs) If you know it, forwards and backwards, Inside and out, it may save you. It may save somebody else. Let me see that. So Paul says, you need to endure hardship like a good soldier. I'll move down through these last two rather quickly. So I know that was a little longer. So in verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 5. And also if anyone... Sorry. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Individuals competing in athletic competitions know that you have to compete according to the rules. By the time these words are penned, The great Greek empire has come and gone, but they gave us the games, right? And so this would be terminology that Paul would use to be familiar with. He had been to Athens, right? And he could share with Timothy. So, Timothy, as you see yourself as a soldier, as you see yourself as an athlete, you know... You got to compete according to the rules. But Timothy also, you know, athletes train and they condition so that they can compete and so that they can win that prize. And that's what Paul's telling. Over in Philippians 
third chapter, about verses 13 through 15. It's where Paul talks about the fact that he has not yet attained, but he presses on towards the goal. And so Paul is saying, I'm not perfect, (laughs) but I keep pressing on. I keep striving. Because I know the goal that I'm chasing. And so Timothy, can you see yourself as an athlete also competing according to the rules? Training, conditioning, pressing towards that goal, towards that prize. Let me give you this illustration. Well-known author, I could tell you that you recognize it. On one occasion, he said, you know, when we here in America, do you remember the great American pastime? And it is baseball. Yeah, it's not football. It's baseball. <laughs> he said, we enjoy the privilege of watching almost perfection. Well, I'm not saying that on an individual basis, okay? <laughs> but baseball has something to offer, that's for sure. This is the way he illustrated that. He said, one of the greatest challenges in all of professional sports is hitting a baseball. He said, there is a guy standing on a mound 60 feet, 6 inches from home plate, and he is going to hurl that baseball at around 100 miles an hour. The time it takes from leaving his hands till it crosses home plate and hits the catcher's mitt is point." Four, one, two seconds. That's less than a half of a second. He said in that time, a batter on a major league level will see that ball coming and he will decide, is it a curve? Is it a slider? Is it a fastball? And in that half a second, is that ball going to pass through this strike zone? And if it is, in the next half a second, I have got to rotate my hips, followed by my shoulders, followed by my arms, and as the bat passes through the strike zone, I have to snap my, snap my wrist, and it has to be at the perfect height angle so that I make contact with that ball. All in half a second. He said it's just an imagination. Let me tell you something I will add to that. If a batter today, or any time, has a batting average of 300, you know what that means? That means out of 10 times when he comes to the plate, he hits it three. And we think that's, that's amazing. <laughs> three out of 10 times, he actually got a hit. So Paul says, I'm striving towards that upper goal I don't want to hit it 3 out of 10 what I'm striving for is 10 out of 10 but he says I ain't there yet but I keep striving you know what he's saying that's for me and you oh there's things that we do right there's a lot of things we do wrong You know what the point is? Keep swinging. 
Keep swinging. Keep trying. That's what Paul said. Finally, the farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake in the crops. There's various comparisons that are used by commentaries and so forth to help explain us, to help us to understand this particular verse. I was talking to my wife as we were driving here this morning, and Gerald, I, I didn't text you, but <laughs> does anybody here remember the song, Bringing in the Sheaves? You remember that? Does everybody know what sheaves are? That's kind of an archaic term, isn't it? It has to do with gathering that harvest and so forth. Some say that's what's being made reference to, that, that harvest of souls. And certainly as you think about a farmer as an illustration, Paul wrote over in 1 Corinthians, I planted... Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Increase in what? He was planting the seed, Luke the 8th chapter. Apollos was watering, he was nurturing, he was teaching. So that there might be God giving the increase, there would be a harvest of souls. And so certainly, I think that's applicable that what he's talking about is Timothy can, can you see yourself that way and you know it takes it takes a lot of hard work and it takes patience doesn't it if you're a farmer you have to prepare the ground you have to plant the seed you have to pray then it rains and that crop come up and then there's a harvest and so Timothy Can you see yourself as a farmer also? Verse 7. Consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all of these things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of change. Now he's talking about his present condition. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect and that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what Paul saying? I may be in prison, but this word's not chained. So Timothy, you, you, can, you can spread that. And while you're doing that, I want you to remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David. It's not just lineage that he's talking about there, I believe, but also that Jesus was a man and that he was put to death, but he was raised. Timothy, that's the goal. That's why you're a soldier, that's why you're an athlete. That's why you're a farmer. Because it's that salvation 
that we're working towards, not only for ourselves, but for others also. So Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, this is the way I saw myself as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer. Timothy, the Lord will help you to understand these things. You'll see it too. That's 2 Timothy 1, or 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you're not a child of God, we would encourage you to do that this very day. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God and need to make your relationship right with the Lord, and if we can help, let us know while together we stand, while we sing.